Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> mothers wouldn't be mothers without us, would they? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Um, we're going to look at um, the kind of the relationship between the resurrection, our ultimate waking up to our true reality, and the equivalent of that in the course uh, of being in the real world. Um, and to do that, we'll look at the first time that Jesus talked about the real world in the text. It's on page 208 in the text, chapter 11. <clears throat> he really didn't mention the real world, um, didn't really even describe it, just kind of threw it in there like he does with most things, and then kind of develops the idea of it as he goes along. But on page 208 in the text, paragraph, uh, well, not yet. <laughs> First, he's going to talk about the resurrection. And then in the next section, he'll, act, he'll actually use the phrase for the first time, the real world, and gradually begin describing that, what, what that is, experience is all about. So when I uh, put out the title for this particular um, session, um, Resurrecting with Jesus into an experience of the real world, I didn't realize he had these two ideas back to back. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe I did at some point. But in chapter 11, he's got the idea of the resurrection, and then immediately following in the next section, he has the idea of the real world. Pretty much synonymous. So in page 2.8 in the text, he says, paragraph 4, I am your resurrection and your life. It's a, it's a, take, off, it's a take from one of those um, Bible sayings. You live in me because you live in God, and everyone lives in you as you live in everyone. So this is, you know, as usual, um, expressing the inclusivity of this whole process, that we can't leave anybody out. Can you then perceive unworthy, unworthiness in a brother and not perceive it in yourself? major theme. Whatever I see in my brother, I see in me. So if I see guilt in my brother, i got to be seeing it in me, because he's a reflection of me. And can you perceive it in yourself and not perceive it in God? It's kind of like a triangle. you got God, and then you got my sense of self, and then you got my brother, and the way I see God is the way I see myself. The way I see my brother is the way I see myself. The way I see myself is the way I see God and the way I see my brother. So on that triangle, it's like if you look at any, any of those three different seeming images, however I'm see, seeing any of those images uh, is the way I always see myself. And that's expressed in most spiritualities, uh, including and also in the Enneagram, if you're familiar with that. Um, line six Paragraph four, believe in the resurrection because it has been accomplished already. This is an already course. We're, we've already woken up and we're still pretending we haven't woken up. <laughs> so the idea is to, to awaken. Believe in the resurrection because it has been accomplished and it has been accomplished in you already. This is as true now as it will ever be, for the resurrection is the will of God, which knows no time and knows no exceptions. Make no exception yourself, or you will not perceive what has been accomplished for you. And then if you uh, drop down to paragraph 7 on the next page in the middle, paragraph 7, line 3, and this is a classic line in the Course, Teach not that I died in vain. Teach rather that I did not die by demonstrating that I live in you. So that's certainly one way of expressing the resurrection. That's a way of expressing um, what the experience of the real world is like. And then he goes on, for the undoing, the undoing of the crucifixion of God's Son is the work of the re redemption, is the work of the resurrection. Resurrection and redemption, this section's called Waking to Redemption, but it could certainly be called also Waking to Our Own Resurrection, that we're already resurrected. One of the, um, 
I can't remember exactly where he presents this idea, but the idea of the resurrection wasn't resurrection did not happen um, in biblically, at least in respect to the course. The resurrection didn't happen after Jesus died on the cross. The resurrection happened as soon as we thought of the tiny mad idea of separation. The real resurrection happened when Jesus, that part of us, that part of of, of who who our true identity is looked at the tiny mad idea and let it go, realized it was silly. So that part of us that did that, the Course calls Jesus. But, but since Jesus is part of us, we've already resurrected, and we're still just kind of pretending we haven't yet. So in Jesus's resurrection, when he looked at the tiny mad idea of separation, and he did not crucify himself to it the way we thought we did, and that was basically our cross. We crucified ourselves to the idea of the tiny mad idea of separation. Um, so he's trying to get us to wake up and realize it's silly. We couldn't do that even if we wanted to. And, you know, we don't have to continue pretending we did that. So the undoing of the crucifixion of God's son, the crucifixion to the tiny mad idea of separation, is the work of the resurrection, is the work of redemption, in which everyone has a part of equal value. God does not judge his guiltless son, because he's guiltless. <laughs> we never crucified ourselves. Having given himself, God, to his son, how could it be otherwise? And we're on page 209 in the text, paragraph 8. You have, you believe you nailed yourself to the cross, to the cross of the tiny mad idea, and placed a crown of thorns upon your own head. Nobody did this to us. We just kind of chose to believe we did it to ourselves. And even more importantly, we couldn't do it either. Yet you cannot crucify God's son, for the will of God cannot die. His son has been redeemed from his own crucifixion already. With Jesus, Jesus did that. That was his role. And you cannot assign death, and you cannot assign to death whom God has given eternal life. The dream of crucifixion still lies heavy on your eyes. I mean, we still think we're, you know, we're still pretending we're crucified. We're in this dream. The dream of crucifixion still lies heavy on your eyes, but what you see in dreams is not your reality. It's not who we truly are. So that's the resurrection. And then the very next section, um, the condition of reality, the condition of who we truly are, this is where Jesus starts talking about the real world for the first time in the, in the, in the um, text. And certainly he's, he's more than implied that experience prior to this trading one world for the, for the world that he sees, trading the image of our brother for the image of the brother that he sees. So, but here he's actually going to use the phrase. So he, go, he starts paragraph one on page 210. The world as you perceive it cannot have been created by the Father, for the world is not as you see it. I mean, we, you know, from the ego point of view, we see a world of condemnation and judgment and, and misery and pain and death. But that world is not as we see it because we made it up. God created only the eternal, and everything you see as an ego is perishable. Therefore, there must be another world that you do not see. And then if you drop down to the next paragraph, every loving thought that the Son of God ever had is eternal. The loving thoughts his mind perceives in this world are the world's only reality. They are still perceptions because he still believes that he is separate, yet they are eternal because they are loving. And being loving, they are like the Father and therefore cannot die. So that's the one good redeeming thing in the world. When we have real, real experiences of, of love, when we have real experiences of of, of, of not condemning our brother, but giving our brother the blessing of innocence. And, um, and then he actually uses the phrase, the real world can actually be perceived. All that is necessary is a willing, willingness 
to perceive nothing else, <laughs> to, to not a willingness to not perceive the world we think we see. <laughs> like, and we don't even have to do it. He'll do it for us. Jesus will do it for us. The Holy Spirit will do it for us. He'll give us a new perception of a whole new world if we're willing to go there, if we're willing to lay down our condemnation and our judgments of our brothers and ourselves and in that willingness to perceive nothing else, i.e. guilt. I'm willing not to perceive guilt in you, and I'm willing not to perceive guilt in me. Because this world is just basically just a world of guilt. <laughs> this is what we did. Guilt is the glue that holds the world together. <laughs> as much as we like to pretend that's not the case, that is the case. <laughs> From Jesus' point of view, that's the only thing holding all this together is we perceive guilt. And that's the purpose of seeing all this. And, and even more importantly, the guilt's in you is not me. <laughs> I mean, that's the real world. I mean, that's the real purpose of the world from the, from the ego's point of view is guilt. And it's in you and it's not in me. I didn't do this. And uh, so the real world is whatever the real world is, it's not guilt. <laughs> it's not condemnation. It's not judging our brother. And we're willing to perceive and let that condemnation go. We're willing to perceive something else. And that's what he means. All that is necessary is a willingness to perceive nothing else. Uh, this week we've been talking a little bit about the not know thing. So we look at the world we see, which is the not part, and we say, I don't want, I don't want that anymore. And the no part is the world itself, the world of condemnation, the world of misery. So I don't want is the not, and the no is... Um, is the condemnation and the misery and the pain. Not know. And, and it's a phrase that Jesus talks about later on in the text. But once you start seeing not knows, they're everywhere. So in this, in this sentence, all that is necessary is a willingness to perceive nothing else. I don't want to see guilt anymore. I've been seeing guilt. <laughs> I don't know how to stop, but I'm willing to try something else. And then we invite Jesus into that process and he will show us something else. Um, let's see. And then on the next page at the top, this is actually in paragraph four, line seven. To believe that you can perceive the real world is to believe that you can actually know yourself, actually have that experience. You can know God because it is his will to be known. The real world is all that the Holy Spirit has saved for you out of what you have made. And to perceive only this is salvation because it is the recognition that it, that reality is only what is true. So in this sec section uh, 7 in chapter 11, this is where he first talks about the real world and what that experience kind of looks like. And that's immediately following his whole definition of himself is, I am the resurrection and the life, and that same resurrection is in you already. So basically, real world, resurrection, lifting the veil, which he talks about in uh, chapter 19, they're all synonymous. Real world is basically when we go holy instant and we don't come out of it. <laughs> we just stay in the holy instant, whatever that looks like, whatever that feels like. So we're just kind of describing terms, and we're describing it from these terms from Jesus's point of view. Interesting thing is he really did not mention this phrase, real world, and until he set up all this other stuff from chapters 1 through 10, <laughs> including his definition of, of uh, forgiveness, which is what we've been going over recently in chapter 9. So finally, you know, this idea of the real world comes into um, into his vocabulary into our vocabulary. And then the, the recent five lessons that we're currently in, if you want to turn in your workbook. First one um, is lesson 128. It's on page 233. There's a series of five lessons here that are all about the, uh, the world, letting go of the world we see and allowing the Holy Spirit to replace the world we see with the world that the Holy Spirit sees. And he's walking us through this process. Lesson 128, which Bruce went over, God, whatever day it was, Friday, I think. <laughs> the world I see holds nothing that I want. So we got to kind of wake up to that. <laughs> like what we've been doing ain't working. 
there's got to be another way of doing this. What Bill Thetford said to Helen Chuckman, there's got to be another way of approaching each other without all this judgment and gossip and all this horrible stuff we do to each other all the time. So the world I see holds nothing I want. Just that waking up process. It's like hitting a bottom in 12 steps. It's, it's we hit that bottom of realizing everything I've been doing ain't working. Whatever little piece I've had has been very temporary and then the misery and the pain still is there and I can't seem to get rid of it. And I can't see, and I definitely can't seem to stop blaming my brother for it. <laughs> so the world you see, paragraph one, holds nothing that you, that the world you see holds nothing that you need to offer yourself, nothing that you can use in any way, nor anything at all that serves to give you joy. So it takes a while to wake up to that. <laughs> you know, usually people are in their late 30s, maybe early 40s, before they begin realizing this ain't working. <laughs> Some people do it younger, who knows why. Some people do it later. Some people don't do it at all. They gotta come back again and do it. <laughs> but after a while, some, everybody says at some point in their process, this ain't working. The world I see holds nothing I want. And, and Bruce did a real good job on, on going through that lesson. And then lesson 129, so, I mean, he says in the first paragraph, if we don't have something to replace the world we want, it's gonna get pretty dark. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this ain't working, but is there something else? Is there something I can see differently? Because otherwise we're just gonna be walking around depressed is what he says in that first paragraph. Beyond this world, there is a world I want. And we're on uh, page 235 in the text, lesson 129. This is the thought that follows from the one we practiced yesterday. You cannot stop with the idea that the world is worthless, for unless you see there is something else to hope, to hope for, you will only be depressed. Our emphasis is not on giving up this world, but on exchanging it for what is far more satisfying, filled with joy, and capable of offering you peace. Think you this world can offer that to you. So we gotta have to kind of wake up to know the world we see doesn't offer that. <laughs> and if there is something else, maybe I'd be willing to check it out. So he's gonna walk us through the process. Um, and then in paragraph two, he's re-emphasizing all the not so nice stuff that we see all the time. What <laughs> he's trying to like like get us to fess up that what we're hanging on to here might not be worth hanging on to. It might be worth, paragraph two, it might be worth a little time to think once more about the value of this world. Perhaps you will concede there is no loss in letting go all thought of value here. The world you see is merciless indeed. The world is unstable. The world is cruel, unconcerned with you, quick to avenge, and pitiless with hate. The world gives only to rescind and takes away all things that you have cherished for a while. So, you know, after a while we get honest, we're just, you know, we're, we're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, if we get a few things of peace and joy here and there, I still go back to condemning my brother, I still go back to believing I'm in pain, and I still go back to blaming it on somebody else. No lasting love is found for none is here, this is the world of time where all things end. And then he just goes on to <laughs> develop that. Once again, do you really want to hang on to this? And so towards the uh, end of this lesson, let's see. As an opening meditation, I thought we could um, do paragraph seven and eight of this lesson on page 236. And uh, paragraph seven is all about um, opening up to this possibility, practicing your willingness to see something else, practicing your willingness to let the world of condemnation go and see the world that Jesus sees beyond the judgment, beyond the pain, beyond the misery, beyond the blame. So practice your willingness to make this change, you know, often, <laughs> you know, not just three times a day, but whenever you start getting crazy. Begin with this. Beyond this world, there is a world I want. 
I choose to see that world instead of this world, for here is nothing that I really want. And then we can get quiet for a minute and actually do this. Close your eyes upon the world you see. In the silent darkness, watch the lights that are not of this world light one by one. Until where one begins, another ends, loses all meaning as they blend in one. Today, the lights of heaven bend to us to shine upon our, our eyelids as we rest beyond the world of darkness. Here is light our eyes cannot behold, and yet our mind can see it plainly and can understand. A day of grace is given us today, and we give thanks. This day, we realize that what we feared to lose was only loss. And we'll get quiet for a few moments. I'll bring this out. And gently, gently come back. So, uh, once again, happy Mother's Day, everybody. <laughs> Our mothers are mothers because of us. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, and happy resurrection, too. <laughs> We're already re resurrected. <laughs> Everything's already good. So, any comments or thoughts or objections to any of any of this stuff so far it's interesting that last line um this day we realized that what we feared to lose was only loss so i mean i mean What's helpful here for me, whenever I'm looking at stuff like this, and maybe it doesn't sink in right away, is to go back to the chart. To look at where all this started <laughs> with the tiny mad idea of separation. That was the loss. And we're afraid to let that go, as silly as that is. We're not even that it could even happen, but that we believe it happened. So that's the loss. We, we gave up our connection with our father. So what we're afraid to lose was the loss of our connection. And we got ourselves afraid that we're gonna lose this new separate identity and, and have it replaced with the real thing. Now on a good non-ego day, why would we do that? Well, we wouldn't. <laughs> but as long as we're hanging on to the idea of separation, then we're hanging on to the idea that we actually pulled this off. We're not gonna be willing to let go of that idea of loss, that we've lost our connection with our father that we want to believe we lost our connection with our father. And then obstacles to peace, if you're in immersion later on today, we'll be looking at that. The ultimate um, obstacle to peace is that we're, we don't want the veil to be lifted, that we did not separate, that we did not lose our connection with our father. What you feared to lose was only loss. Everything's still good. Everything's still a done deal. And then um, in Lesson 130, Paragraph 1, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> you can't see both worlds at once. <laughs> you can't have a little ego and a little Holy Spirit and mix them up. <laughs> so it's, uh, you can't be half pregnant. <laughs> You've got one or the other. If you, if you have any question at all that maybe you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, you're probably not. 
<laughs> and that's not to beat yourself up. That's just to, if you are listening to the Holy Spirit, you'll know it. <laughs> if you're in a state of peace, you'll know it. If you're happy and you know it, you'll be clapping your hands. <laughs> if you're not quite sure whether you're happy or not, you've got a little bit more work to do. You've got a little bit more letting go. Once again, that's not to beat ourselves up. That's just to give us another opportunity to step up to the plate and go, yeah, I could see another world instead of this. And then invite Jesus to help me see my brother sinless, to help me see my brother without guilt the way he does. But it's impossible to see both. And that's what he's really stressing here. So lesson 128 is, and I'm not sure I want this world I'm seeing anymore. Lesson 129, yeah, there's another world that you might want to see. And lesson 130, he's really hammering it home here. <laughs> you can't see both at once. You, gotta, you'll, you will see one or the other, and you don't have any choice in that. I mean, those are the two choices. You can't choose an in-between. You'll see one or the other, depending on who you ask for help, the ego or the Holy Spirit. And then paragraph one, perception is consistent. In lesson 130, we're on page 237. Perception is consistent. Meaning, if I choose the ego, everything I see is going to be ego-based. I'm going to be looking for separation, and I'm going to be looking to blame the pain of that on somebody else. Perception is consistent. And it'll, it'll include everybody and everything, no matter how much I pretend it doesn't. <laughs> This is, this is a real consistent 100% thought system when I'm in ego mode. But the opposite is true, too. When I'm working with the Holy Spirit and I'm looking to, for sinlessness in my, in my brother and myself, it's 100%. And, and I'm going to see one of two worlds based on what, I'm, I'm, what my goal is here, who I'm choosing to be my teacher. So perception is consistent. What you see reflects your thinking. What you see reflects who you chose as your teacher, the ego or Holy Spirit. And your thinking simply reflects your choice of what you want to see. Do I want to see separation and blame, or do I want to see sinlessness and forgiveness? What do I really want to see? And, once again, he's going back to lesson... <laughs> 128, your values are determiners of this. What do we value? You know, usually on a good ego day, we're valuing separation. We don't admit that. And then we have to value the guilt that's in our brother <laughs> that proves separation is real. And it's not my fault. <laughs> I didn't do this. So, I mean, that whole setup is just what kicks in all the time. And then he goes on. So what your values are determiners of this, what you decide to value. For, for what you value, you must want to see, believing what you see is really there. So if we value guilt and separation, and then worse, we pretend we don't, <laughs> that's what we're going to see. And we're going to think it's real. And we'll see the, the guilt that's the glue that holds this whole world together, the world that we see, the world of separation. No one can see a world his mind has not accorded value, and no one can fail to look upon what he believes he wants. And then we pretend we don't believe that, and we pretend we don't want that. Uh, paragraph four. Fear. Fear is made everything you think you see. When we're, you know, when we're in ego mode, fear is what's driving everything. Because the ultimate fear is the fear of loss, that I'm going to lose my separate identity, you know, separate autonomous self, disconnect from my father. So, I mean, that's what we've got ourselves afraid of. So rather than admit how silly that fear is, we, we, get, we project that fear on everything else and we say, oh, I'm afraid of the virus or I'm afraid of my finances are going out the window. Or I'm afraid my loved ones are going to die. Fear has made everything you think you see when we're in ego mode. And all that fear is, is basically a distraction from what the real fear is. I'm afraid to let Jesus in. I'm afraid to ask for help to see a different world. And you say that stuff out loud, and it becomes like pretty silly. <laughs> 
And there, you know, there's a lot of motivation for trying this process out because there's a lot of good promises here if what Jesus is saying is true. Um, all separation, line two, paragraph four, all separation, all distinctions, and the multitude of differences, multitude of sins, really, <laughs> in every possible way, you believe make up the world. They are not there. Love's enemy has made them up. Yet love can have no enemy, and so they have no cause and no being and no consequence. So, I mean, that's why all this stuff seems so real to us. It's because of guilt. <laughs> it's because we're absolutely sure we're upset for the reason we think, and we know who the guilty party is. That's, that's what makes all this real. And then don't admit that's what's going on. Once we start letting go of guilt and being willing to see something else in our brother, the whole fabric of our belief in what we think we see will begin to just fall away. You pull one little thread on guilt and it, it begins to unravel pretty quick, actually. But you got to honestly kind of go after it. <laughs> you can't, you know, it, it's, it, it's like, yeah, I'm willing to see a little guiltlessness here. And that's what we start with, a little willingness to see a little guiltlessness. But it's going to get pretty big pretty quick. And a lot of yeah buts are going to come up. When, and with every yeah but, look what they did. We have another chance to look and see the way Jesus does and to ask for help to do that. And, and that's what he's expressing here. Um, paragraph five, it's impossible to see two worlds which have no overlap of any kind. And, and this is just a, a um, kind of a simple way of describing to ourselves that if I'm seeing any guilt at all, I'm not seeing the real world. I mean, maybe we get flashes of it here and there, but if I'm still hanging on to guilt, it's going to block the whole process. It's going to block me waking up. It's going to block me to realizing resurrection has already happened. Line two, seek for the one, the other disappears. I remember, uh, I was at this way back when, way before the course, a young lady came into a, a metaphysical group we were all part of, and um, she was saying that she had this dream um, that there were all these castles kind of floating around in the air, kind of like one of those 1970s Led Zeppelin posters. But there were all these different castles floating in the air, and she focused on one of them, and all the rest of them disappeared. Meaning for her in that experience, and even in that literal dream she was having, that the other castles, for all intents and purposes, weren't there anymore because she focused on one of those castles. And that's what he's saying here. Seek for the one and all the rest disappear. They just didn't disappear because, you know, they just disappeared. They disappeared because we put our focus on one of them and then we lost track of everything else. So that's certainly true of the ego world. You seek for condemnation. When we seek for condemnation, our brother, holiness disappears. <laughs> There's guilt everywhere. And it's not mine. <laughs> we, it, when, we seek for, when we seek for sin in our brothers, that's the experience. We find the guilt. And, and holiness just disappears. When we seek for holiness in our brother, then the sin will disappear. In time and space, you know, they probably did sin. <laughs> But what's that got to do with anything once we focus on holiness? If that's what we truly are, we will have that experience. Seek for one and the other disappears, and then only one remains. They are the reins of choice beyond which your decisions cannot go. Whatever I choose is the normal. <laughs> It's not the new normal, <laughs> it's just the normal. If I choose ego and separation, I'm gonna see that everywhere, that's the normal. If I choose holiness, that'll become the normal. And, you know, corresponding joy and peace of mind will actually flow from that experience. But that's the range. Line five, the real and the unreal are all there are to choose between. 
I mean, we convince ourselves that all the time we're just going out, we're doing what we what we do. <laughs> you know, we go to work, we we provide support for our family and ourselves. We put a roof over our heads. We fix the car if it needs fixing. Nah, we're not doing that. <laughs> not from Jesus' point of view. We're in all those situations. We're either looking for guilt or we're not. <laughs> That's it. That's the range of choice here. And Jesus isn't saying go, not, go through your day, do what you do, but just do it with him. Go through your day looking for holiness in your car, <laughs> in your job, in the people you come in contact with. Look for that instead. But first, got to fess up to the condemnation part. <laughs> you got to fess up to like, yeah, I really was looking for guilt. And I don't want to do that anymore. Not no. I don't want to be looking for guilt anymore. I'm willing to have that replaced with a whole different experience. Question, thoughts, any experiences along those lines? Steve, you having a good Mother's Day so far? <laughs> Talking to me? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I had a class earlier this morning, uh, a local thing, and it was uh, it was exceptional. Uh, well, what I wanted to say about this is, uh, I do, you know, I, I guess a lot of us do this. I do the lessons every day, uh, every year for a while now. And when I got to 128 a few days ago, um, I took it uh, real seriously uh, and and decided I was gonna. I was going to uh, do what it said. The world I see holds nothing that I want. Um, and I had no idea what I was in for because I had forgotten that the next two lessons are kind of like this, the same gig. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's like a trilogy or, or try, you know, and I didn't know what I'd gotten myself into. Um, so, you know, a few days ago, the world I see holds nothing that I want. I, I did that and I did it all day. And I was totally miserable because I realized, uh, you know, how far I still have to go. Uh, you know, I, um, I, everything's an idol. <laughs> you know, there's temptations, uh, there's fantasy, uh, there's specialness in both directions. You know, if you're getting on my nerves, there's special hate. You know, if I'm, you know, if you're smiling at me, there's a special love. And everything I did and everywhere I want, uh, everywhere I went, I kind of wanted something. In, in one direction or the other. Uh, and I was looking forward to, to it being over. And then I got to the next one. <laughs> you know, the, next, the next day is beyond this is a world I want. So I'm looking for nothing but reality and it's getting hard to find. And then the third one came, you know, uh, it's impossible to see two worlds. And, and never, never has that been so clear to me uh, as it's been in the past three days. Uh, you, you know, you have to, uh, it, if you're gonna do this, it's all or nothing. And, and I tend to go that way anyway. I have an all or nothing type, type thinking, which can be an advantage. But, you know, as you go along, it will break your little heart here and there. And that's, uh, that's what happened to me in the last three days on this. Uh, I'm really so glad to, to – when I saw today that we were going to do, do this, I went, God, it just, it just won't go away. You know, <laughs> here, we go. here we go again. And, uh, you know, thank you, Jesus, because that's the way I do it. I look at it with Jesus as, you know, as much as I can. But – you know, I stiff arm him every now and then just in case, you know, I need to do something that I want to do. Uh, but anyway, it's, uh, it's really good to be doing this with you all today. And uh, it's, a, it, it's, it's a wonderful experience uh, to realize that, uh, that I have company with this. I mean, I know it's, we're only one son of God. I get that. Uh, but uh, it seems like we're not. And when it seems like it, it, we're not, uh, I'm glad it's with uh, Course in Miracles people. Thank you. <laughs> not the others. <laughs> really give it give me a break jesus for god's sake <laughs> that's good thanks Stephen. thanks anybody else comments thoughts why are you shaking your head dave <laughs> oh i guess i'm just thinking uh, <clears throat> i'm echoing steve's uh um kind of all or nothing attitude but um, I, I have to say, I, I think that can be, that can be a detriment because it, it's so easy to start in on the judgment, uh, self-judgment, you know, when you, when you don't feel like you're living up to, to what the course is asking you to do, uh, the ego can put a pretty heavy burden on you that way, you know, so, um, we, we have to, we have to factor in some, some kindness, uh, to ourselves, um, anyway, yeah.
that's all I was thinking. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, like in that moment when the self-judgment kicks in and I start, you know, I get out the, the whip <laughs> with the barbs. <laughs> I start, you know, I'm a bad course student. <laughs> I'm definitely not seeing one world of, of one real world <laughs> at my best. Maybe I'm seeing two. <laughs> and most of the time I'm just seeing the bad one. <laughs> so... It, it, the kindness, I think, is, is, is reminding myself, I, I don't do this. I'm not the one that's going to be able to see the real world. I have to have that. I have to allow that experience. The kindness is asking Jesus for help. I mean, for God's sake, ask Jesus. <laughs> First of all, we can't do it by ourselves, and there's no way we can do it by ourselves. <laughs> and why would you want to do it by yourself anyway? <laughs> I mean, we've been trying to do that forever, and it hasn't worked. So, so let's, let's invite something else in here. <laughs> a little kindness goes a long way. I'll ask somebody. I'll put the wrap on him. If he doesn't show me something else, it's his fault. It ain't mine. But give him a break, for God's sake. <laughs> invite him in. <laughs> You know, give peace a chance. Give Jesus a chance. <laughs> I don't even have to do it. <laughs> so, yeah. Very good. And, uh, and he goes on. He can't help himself. <laughs> um, in uh, Lesson 131, um, he only mentions the world once in there. But, I mean, it's still, it's this... It's, it's, uh, quintet thing happening where you know 128 all the way up to 132 which is the big one <laughs> i lose the world from all i thought it was <laughs> and uh but in 131 he kind of steps back a little bit and he's looking once again at some pretty um uncompromising ideas here that no one can fail who, who seeks to reach the truth no one can fail who seeks to reach the real world if I ask for help, if I invite the Holy Spirit in, if I invite a guide to see something else that, that the guide sees and I'm not seeing right now. So, I mean, that's where he's always going with this. Paragraph 4 in Lesson 131, page 239, paragraph 4, be glad that search you must Sounds like Yoda in Star Wars. Be glad to search you must. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, that's such a Yoda line. <laughs> it's all twisted and backwards and everything. <laughs> Be glad to search you must. Be glad as well to learn you search for heaven and must find the goal you really want. No one can fail to want this goal and reach it in the end. God's son cannot seek vainly, though he try to force delay deceive himself and think that it is hell that he's sinking without ever admitting. <laughs> I mean, if we leave Jesus out of this process, it's got to be hell that we're seeking because that was the hell in the first place. <laughs> Not inviting Jesus into the process was the hell. Throwing him out the window with the tiny man idea was the hell. That was the only hell. <laughs> inviting him back in can't be that hard. You know, just even for a few seconds, just like ask, <laughs> where in the hell are you, Jesus? Oh, you're right here. <laughs> oh, you can show me something else. Oh, I don't even have to try to see it. <laughs> you're just going to show it to me. I just need to let go of wanting to see all the bad stuff I've been seeing. So, uh, and when he, you know, line five, when, he, when, when we as a bad course student, or we're wrong, <laughs> we can find correction if we invite another guide into the process. We can have this whole ballgame switched up on us. And then, you know, he's just so insistent, paragraph five, no one remains in hell, for no one can really abandon his creator. Atonement's already a done deal. No matter how long, how hard we prove, try to prove it's not. And the way we try to prove it's not is by not asking Jesus for help. I need to be a good course student. I need to do this myself. <laughs> it's not my job. My job is to ask. My job isn't to see a different world. My job is to ask to see a different world. Ah, uh, <laughs> there's the rub. <laughs> I got to ask for help. 
guys hate doing that. <laughs> well, so everybody hates doing that. I mean, that's why we came here. <laughs> As for directions, you got to be kidding. <laughs> but when we do, no one can remain for hell. And then <laughs> the ultimate line, I think they made a movie about it <laughs> on top of page 240. Why wait for heaven? Heaven can wait. <laughs> Damn it. I'm going to make heaven wait for me. Watch. <laughs> I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> Why wait for heaven? It is here today. Time is the great illusion. It is past or in the future. Time is the great illusion. It is, comma, either in the past or in the future. That's where we're always caught up. We're caught up you know, dwelling on the past and what didn't work. And we're caught up in the future trying to make something work that's already here. Heaven's already here. It's not in the past and it's not in the future. It didn't go anywhere. <laughs> we're the ones that pretended we went somewhere else and we were going to do it ourselves. <laughs> and we don't have to. In fact, we can't. So, you know, give it up. <laughs> Just give it up. And then uh, he actually mentions the world in paragraph 11, italics. I asked to see a different world and think a different kind of thought from those I made. The world I seek, I did not make alone. The world I seek, I did not make alone. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just like, once again, <laughs> we can't do this alone. We've got to access some other part of us that we've been ignoring, that we've been pushing away, that we've refused to ask for help. The world I seek I did not make alone. The thoughts I want to think are not my own individual thoughts. Meaning I got to do this <laughs> by myself without anybody's help. We were pointing out earlier in the week that the most important repetitive word in the 12-step process is we, W-E. Little words in every step. We did this. Me and you and my higher power. <laughs> Me and you and Jesus. We do this together. We admit we're powerless alone, and then we ask each other's help, and we get it. <laughs> That's why we never asked for help, because we, part of us knew we would get it. <laughs> We would see something else, and we didn't want to see something else, and then we were the last one to admit to all that crazy. So, so you know, just be kind. Like Dave said, give yourself a break. <laughs> I didn't do it. Dave did it. <laughs> Ask Jesus for help. <laughs> so, and then 132, very interesting title. In uh, Lesson 128, he was really big on the chain thing. Chain, 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 Aretha Franklin. <laughs> Let go of the chains that you're binding yourself with. And now he's saying, I loose the world from all the chains I laid on it. I loose the world from not just all I thought it was, but I loose the world from that I thought it was. I let go of believing it exists at all, ultimately, is what it is. But first I start with, I laid guilt on the world. I took my internal guilt and I laid it on my brother all over the place. And then I went looking for guilt all the time. So I loosed the world from all I thought it was, a, a big ball of guilt, <laughs> a big ball of glue that, that really is guilt. What keeps the world in chains? What keeps the world in this glue? What keeps the world in guilt but your own beliefs? So we, you know, just, we, we begin to admit that and then we let those beliefs go and then we let the guide show us something else. And what can save the world except your true capitalized self? Belief is powerful indeed. Well, heck yeah, look around. <laughs> This is a hell of a show. <laughs> I mean, it just goes on for planets and solar systems and <laughs> not just here, everywhere. <laughs> Belief is powerful indeed. The thoughts you hold are mighty and illusions are as strong in their effects as is the truth. A man-man thinks the world he sees is real and does not doubt it. 
nor can he be swayed by questioning his thoughts and effects. I mean, we don't, once again, we don't do this. It is but when their source is raised to question that the hope of freedom comes to him at last. And their source is always that tiny man idea inside of us that we're hanging on to. Paragraph four, the world is nothing in itself. Your mind must give it meaning. And what you behold upon it are your wishes. Act it out so you can look on them and think them real. Your wishes were sin, guilt, and fear. <laughs> the whole story we made up of sin, guilt, and fear proves that we pulled off the separation. And then we project all that on the world and then we insist it's not our fault. Perhaps you think you did not make the world but came unwillingly to what was made already, hardly waiting for your thoughts to give it meaning. Jesus like, nah, <laughs> you found exactly what you were looking for. <laughs> nah, <laughs> as hard as you'd like to think that you didn't, you found exactly what you were looking for. Yet in truth, you found exactly what you looked for when you came. Paragraph five, there is no world apart from what you wish, and herein lies your ultimate release. Change but your mind. Change only your mind on what you want to see, and all the world must, must, must change accordingly. Ideas leave not their source. Uh, that last sentence, it is not pride which tells you that you made the world you see. And that the, it, the world changes as you change your mind. <coughs> and that's certainly one of the most um, powerful lines from the Course um, is in paragraph six. But it is pride that argues you have come into a world quite separate from yourself, impervious to what you think, and quite apart from what you chance to think it is. In other words, we keep telling ourselves it's not my fault the world I think I see. There is no world. There is no world. This is the central thought the Course attempts to teach. There is no world. Our true reality as, as spirit, our true reality as one son of God, and all these crazy stick figures we see running around in the dream, including this stick figure called, called me, there is no me. <laughs> there is no individual self. There is no me trying to find guilt in the world to prove that I am an individual self. It's all made up. The whole reason for the world is to show us there ain't a world. The whole reason that Jesus uses for the stick figure Tim is to show the stick figure Tim there ain't no Tim. <laughs> but there's something way, way better than that. <laughs> it gets replaced. It gets exchanged for something way, 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 way better. Not everyone is ready to accept it and teach, and each one must go as far as he can let himself be led along the road to truth. He will return, however, and still go farther, or perhaps step back for a while and then return again. <laughs> what kind of mood are you in today? Are you stepping back? <laughs> Are, are you ready to, to take another step forward? Paragraph 10. What is the lesson for today except another way of saying that to know yourself is the salvation of the world? To free the world from every kind of pain is simply to change your mind about yourself. Because we were the ones that were condemning the world in the first place. The way we save the world is we just stop condemning it. We stop trying to find blame out there. And we do that by letting go of the internal blame that we left heaven and believing we actually did that. To free the world from every kind of pain is simply to change your mind about yourself, that you're not this separated self. And you don't have to go blame your brother for that belief. It's a maladaptive solution to a non-existent problem. <laughs> the maladaptive solution is blaming my brother for the guilt so I don't feel so guilty. And the non-existent problem is I thought I was separate in the first place. 
Ken wanted that on his grave. I don't know if they actually put it on his grave or not, but <laughs> that's what he wanted on his grave. The world is a maladaptive solution to a non-existent problem. <laughs> he liked that one. He came up with that one all by himself. I'm not even sure Jesus helped him with that one, <laughs> but he liked that idea. <laughs> there is no world apart from your ideas, line three, because ideas leave not their source, and you maintain the world within your mind and thought. We don't have to go far to find the mind. We're sitting in it. <laughs> we're just pretending we're sitting in a world. Nah, we're not sitting in a world. We're sitting in a mind pretending we're in a world. This is just one big hallucination. <laughs> and it has purpose. <laughs> the purpose of maintaining our belief where we're sitting in a world and not in a mind is to prove not only there is a world, but that the, it's the world's fault for why I'm not at peace. Not some silly thought internally that I'm hanging on to about separation. And then finally, uh, as a prep for the, we'll do a meditation with paragraph 14 on page 244, but paragraph 13. There is no world because it is a thought apart from God. There is no world because it is a thought apart from God. The world was made as an attack on God. The world was made as a place to keep God out. Our bodies were made as an attack on God. Our bodies were made as a, a place to keep God out, to keep awareness out of who, who and what we truly are. So just going back to that, a thought of apart from God pulls the rug on me thinking I'm me, <laughs> me thinking you're you, <laughs> me thinking that you and I aren't already joined. I mean, all that stuff goes out the window when I ask Jesus for help to see you a different way. There is no world because it is a thought apart from God and made to separate the Father and the Son and break away a part of God himself and thus destroy his wholeness. Great definition for the tiny mad idea of separation. Can a world which comes from this tiny mad idea be real? Can this world be anywhere? Deny illusions. Not go around saying this ain't real, but just, <laughs> just be willing to let Jesus show you something else. Show you this is an illusion. Show you blaming your brother is, is an illusion. Show you something else. That's the way we deny it. Deny you are a shadow briefly laid upon a dying world. Well, that's a hell of a definition for my, my existence as Tim. <laughs> I'm just a, a shadow briefly upon a dying world. Well, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> no, but the good news is, the good news isn't we, we are shadows briefly upon a dying world. The good news is we're not that and we're something way better than that. <laughs> that's the really good news. That's the real world. Um, release your mind and you will look upon a world released. We'll stop condemning it. We'll start looking for holiness instead of condemnation. And then finally, it's a closing uh, meditation. Um, paragraph 14. And then we'll get quiet for a little bit. Today, our purpose is to free the world from all the idle thoughts we ever held about it and about all living things we see upon it. They cannot be there. No more can we. For we are in the home our Father set for us along with them. And we who are as he created us, would loose the world this day from every one of our illusions that we all, that we all may be free.
and gently, gently have a happy Mother's Day. One of the interesting things about Helen Chuckman is she has a real affinity for Mother Mary. In fact, she in her book, The Gift, Gifts of God, the, the, the poem she wrote, there's a couple of uh, poems in there directed towards Mother Mary. So, the, you know, they're kind of a great, <laughs> great Happy Mother's Day theme. If, if you have gifts of God, check them out. Um, one of them's called Stabat Mater. I'm not sure what that means in Latin. Mother something, probably. <laughs> and uh, I forget what the other one is. One's on page 82 in, in Gifts of God, and one's on page 92. So uh, thanks, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Adios. <laughs>